Oh, man. Well, one of the, the gifts that I give to my mother on Mother's Day is that, that I promise to not bring any attention to her um, at all. And so I, um, I, in, in my sermon, in any of the things that I say, I won't point out where she is. I won't in any way, shape, or form bring attention to her because she doesn't like it. So instead of, of talking about her or to her, I'll just make fun of my kids today. So we'll, we'll go with that. That's <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, there's so many jokes that I just have to take off of, like just right off the bat, that um, I just want credit. I had some really good jokes to start with about my mom and about Mother's Day, and I'm just not going to go there. So if you just give me credit for those, I'd appreciate it. That's, that's, it's right there, yeah. And that's even for next week. That's, uh, yeah, we're not even talking about self-control yet. That's, oh, my goodness. That's, and now we don't have to. We're good. We can just move right on. Although there is one thing that I do want to say. Uh, my, my friend JD pointed something out to me that I cannot now... I cannot stop looking at, and so I want to share it with you and see if you can actually pay attention to what I have to say. But if you look at the flame, and you look at the word behind the flame, one of the gifts of the, or one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so, well, so because we just talked about self-control, maybe we'll just do, we'll do self-control next week. Um, so I, good luck not staring at that for the rest of the morning. Uh, maybe we should pray. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that uh, this is how we get to spend our Sunday with family. I pray that, that you would meet us. I pray that we could hear what you have for us. And Father, I pray that as we unpack your word, I pray that, that what we could see in it is the umbrella of love that you have manifested in the grace that you show us. So, Father, would you connect us to that now? Would you bless this time? Father, would you get me out of the way? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the last handful of weeks, we've been engaged in a series that marks the tension that the followers of Jesus were in after his resurrection. So during this time, the, the time after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jesus showed himself to his followers uh, a handful of times, and we've got record of that in, in the Gospels. Um, and he's showing him, his, himself to the followers. He's demonstrating one, that he was risen from the grave and that he was actually alive, that this was a bodily resurrection. He is alive. Um, but he also used these times to, to prepare his followers for what was coming next, for the next phase of the unfolding plan of God, the next piece of the plan to reconcile creation back to the creator. Now, this next part of the plan was a continuation of what Jesus started in his life and ministry but, to, but this is a continuation through a new body, a body that would have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside. This body is the church, a collection of believers that together are perfecting works, challenged by relationships, 
but with the hope that navigating those challenges leads to a body more and more that looks and, and acts like Jesus. So linking our era, the era that we're in now, to the historical church, we are memorializing the time between the, the resurrection and the gifting of the Spirit of God onto his believers. And, and we're, we're doing this, but we're, we're, we're adventing Pentecost as, as we, a way to memorialize that. After Jesus ascended to heaven, his initial followers were instructed to wait until uh, his Spirit was given, and then they were instructed to get to work doing the stuff that Jesus did. So those followers, armed, indwelled, and submitted to his Spirit, just like us, we begin a journey that takes us through the fire of relationships. Relationships with each other, but also relationships with, with non-believing folks that we encounter in the time between the Sunday. And all of this gives us an opportunity to reflect the, the character of Christ into the world as we're placed in it. That journey, going through the fire of relationships and the outcome, that journey is called sanctification. It is a messy time of success and failure, a messy time of wins and losses. It's a messy time, but it's messy with the promise that the ultimate victory has already been won. It's a time of being shaken, and as we're shaken, we get to see what comes out. After we see what comes out, we get to examine it, and then we get to deal with it. We see what we are truly submitted to, and we have the invitation to adjust. So the metric we have to gauge all of this is, is how we can experience the very character of God, how much the experience of us reflects the character of God. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just a metric. It is not actually at all a metric of behavior. It is a demonstration of what will I am submitted to. In Galatians chapter 5, we see this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Sounds like Facebook. <laughs> Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So when we submit to the will, I'm sorry, when we submit to a will other than the will of God, when we submit to, his, to a will other than the plan of reconciliation, we achieve the fruit of what we are submitted to. It's manifested with selfishness, division, arrogance, self-righteousness, and a resistance to the process 
and the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it looks like to be submitted to a will other than the will of the living God. So walking a journey of increasing submission to the will of God leads us to a demonstration of his character and a desire also for his goals. This is increasing the ministry of reconciliation in our lives and in the world around us, and this is the place where God calls us to be. This perfecting work, not perfect work, this perfecting work is the goal of the church. One that that we'll be working towards until we join Jesus in the resurrection. Until then, we get to perfect together in a holy mess of conflict and resolution. That sounds like fun, right? But here's here's the issue. The entry argument for this process, the entry argument for all of us, is fragmentation. The entry argument for me is my fragmented life. My life is fragmented. It's fragmented by experience, by conflict, by relationships. It's fragmented by pain, by pain that I have caused, but also pain that I've endured. The very essence of broken relationship is captured by the word sin. That is what sin is, is broken relationship. The answer for sin The answer for my, my entry argument, the entry point for fragmented life to become whole is the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrificial death that he submitted to in order to open the path of reconciliation for me and for you. So with that fragmentation as an undercurrent, we're taking a look at kindness, goodness, and faithfulness as part of, of the reflection of the character of God as part of the the total reflection of the character of God, elements of fruit of the Spirit that exist under the umbrella of love. So the point here today is not to to measure our kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, thank God, Uh, especially not to measure it against one another. That's not something that we're looking to do today or any day. But to see how we are invited into the process of allowing the reality of the cross to lead us deeper into the kingdom of God through passing our fragmentation through the fire of sanctification. So a foundation for this process is faith. So first we're going to deal with faithfulness. We're not going to go in order. Faithfulness is, is the way believers journey through this world and into the life to come. Faithfulness combines a dependability and a trust that's based on our confidence in God and his eternal faithfulness. It's knowing that God is who he says that he is, is doing what he says that he does, and also that we are who he says that we are to him. All of this allows us to face the circumstances of life the circumstances of chaos, and rest in the knowledge that order is coming. The foundation for our faith can be rooted in one of the most recognizable verses of all of Scripture, a place for our faithfulness to start. John 3, 16 and 17, 
For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Our faithfulness can be rooted in in this passage of scripture because it shows so much about God. Everyone, that is a, a very complicated definition. Everyone. It means everyone. Everyone who believes in him will not perish. We can rest on that fact. But also we can rest on the fact of what, what, he is, what he is up to, what he is doing. He sent his son into the world not to judge the world. You think about how much we spend of, of our time between the Sundays being judged. God did not send his son to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And this becomes the base, the foundation of our faithfulness. Now, knowing that this is what God is doing and and that we are a part of his unfolding plan of reconciliation, that allows us to live with faith also with history as our example. In Hebrews chapter 11, We see it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. A few verses later in the same chapter, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place a heavenly home. That's why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So when we know the plan, we can trust the planner. And knowing the plan and and, and being able to trust the planner allows us to operate with faith that regardless of what it looks like out there, the victory is won. This is freedom from chaos. Freedom from chaos that also is enhanced with the knowledge of God's goodness. And now we see how all of these elements of the fruit of the Spirit work together because his faithfulness also demonstrates his goodness and it invites us to rest in times that don't look good because God has proven to be good. The goodness of God builds our faith because it's how he interacts with us. The goodness gives us a perfect example for goodness. And it assures us that his purpose for creation is good. It's his goodness that gives us security. It gives us encouragement. But it also draws us closer to him when it leads us to worship. 
God's goodness, the ultimate display of God's goodness was demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. The goodness of God doing for me something that I do not deserve. Goodness then in God, goodness in God is active. So in us, it cannot be merely a passive quality. Goodness in us must be the deliberate presence of his will over our own will. Part of that includes a firm and persistent and growing resistance to moral evil and the choosing and following of the moral good. But, we, but this is a moral good that we understand from the revelation of God's character that comes through Scripture. Goodness is demonstrated when we choose to care about the things that God cares about. I know you've heard me say this before, but it's helpful to say it on Mother's Day. This is one of the things that, that I feel a lot of freedom in this. Growing up, it, I struggled so much hearing this, this, this uh, admonition to behave. This, making it about behavior. I, I don't know what have is, so it's very hard to be it. And I could see the frustration growing every time that, you know, that, 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 uh, that the admonition would come. And I'm not going to point out who would give me that admonition. But, but that, that call to behavior is something that's so hard to understand because what, what is have? Being good isn't a reflection of behavior. We know that too, though, because it comes with another reality. The problem with all of this, that even though God calls us to live a life of goodness, even though he calls us to care about the things that he cares about, even though he calls us to, to those things, part of the narrative of my life is that I consistently fail to do so. I know that this is the calling that he has for me, to care about the stuff that he cares about, but I fail often. I am a sinner. I am also surrounded by sinners. They're coming later, not you guys, right? (laughs) But I am a sinner. I am surrounded by sinners. And living in that friction causes my fragmentation to to encounter the fragmentation of all y'all. And this leads us to a place where we can sin against each other because we all are in process. And God intends for that to be the case. See, the way to cultivate goodness, now now hear what I'm saying, the way to cultivate goodness is different than saying the way to be good. The way to cultivate goodness out of the reality of sin, the reality of sin, is another demonstration of how sin is relational, not behavioral. To cultivate goodness, we name our sin before God and our family. We confess. Now, if sin were behavioral, this is dangerous and and should not be done. If sin were behavioral, the outcome 
of confession would be shame. The outcome of confession would be judgment. But that is not the character of God. If sin was behavioral, confession would lead to shame and judgment. And when the confession of another leads us to either shame them or judge them, then we know our fragmentation is showing. But also, when the confession of another leads us to the place of shame and judgment, it's because we're looking at the behavior and we're missing their fragmentation. When we miss the fragmentation that leads to sin, all we can see is the result of the sin, and the cross is no longer in view. This is a case of the enemy taking on flesh and blood even though we know that the enemy is not a flesh and blood. John Wimber, our, our, the founder of, uh, of the Vineyard Movement, used to paraphrase Paul in Ephesians by saying, my brother is never my enemy, even when he acts like it. So when we allow our brother to become the enemy, When sin is seen as behavior, confession then will open the door to shame and judgment. But if we name our sin from the place of relationship, we open the door to goodness because healing and restoration evolve out of acknowledging how we're broken and how our brokenness manifests in relationship. So cultivating goodness happens in relationship. It happens on the very ground where sin is committed. We cultivate goodness by being in accountable relationships. We cultivate goodness by being in those accountable relationships, people that help us to see our blind spots and understand how we, tra how we transgress, but also how we are transgressed against. You know, the most, important, or the most frustrating thing about a blind spot is I can't see it. Because that's true, when we look for these accountable relationships, we also must guard against a lack of diversity. Diversity is so important in the family of God. And one of the reasons it's important is this point right here. It's to ensure that we don't create a like-minded echo chamber. Again, back to Facebook. When we only surround ourselves with voices that are like our own, we are sharing blind spots. Now, that might be more comfortable, but that comfort inhibits the transformational power of confession. One, one thing we need to know we need to write this on our hearts. We need, to, we need to teach this. We need to live this. We need to know this, that confession is not about shame or punishment. Confession is about cultivating goodness by allowing the power of the living God to heal where we're fragmented.
When the power of sin encounters the power of the cross, I tell you this is true, the cross always wins. Confessing to one another allows for this power to be unleashed in our community. And it results in goodness rather than shame. Life rather than death. Kindness, then, is the manifestation of other-directedness. I love that. Phil Kinnison uses that in his book, Life on the Vine. Kindness is the manifestation of other-directedness. Last Sunday, Brad uh, made a great illustration about how easy it is to operate as the center of the world uh, because from where we stand, everything kind of emanates off of us. I love that, that analogy, and it shows the opposite of kindness. Kindness is recognizing Jesus at the center and then doing for others the things that Jesus did. It's about being other-directedness, other-directed. Kindness is the activity of compassion and generosity. It's characteristic of God's dealing with humanity. Characteristic of God's dealing, especially with the weak and the poor. Also, characteristic of God with the people that don't engage us with kindness. Kindness serves as a beacon towards God and is a clear demonstration of the gospel of the kingdom. Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3, he he writes, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. You might know over the course of this year, we've spoken a lot about glory. We spoke about glory being the weighty felt presence of God, about glory Glory to me, the presence of God that comes to me also then becomes glory through me as as that transformation happens and I start to do the things that Jesus did. So we have glory to me that becomes glory through me. Now we see it plainly that kindness shown to me is designed to become kindness that's shown through me. Kindness to me designed to be kindness through me. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, makes that point. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And then to the church in Ephesus, he wrote, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you we get to give another example of the economy of God. We get to give. Nothing given to us was designed to stay with us. Paul reminds us that God's kindness should lead us to to repentance rather than judgment. The Holy Spirit enables us to have moral integrity with kindness and not get trapped in in, in some sort of self-righteous judgment because we see Uh, that that what we received from God was given when we didn't deserve it. And so when we give this to others, it's not because they've deserved it or earned it. 
we give it the way that it was given to us. Our treating others with kindness cannot be predicated on their ability to earn it or return it. This truly, for me, is evidence of how much I need the Holy Spirit. How much I need the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Because on my own, this kindness is not possible. It may not even be probable. But that awareness brings us back to fragmentation. The fragmentation that comes from being in community, pain that I cause, pain that's caused for me, kindness becomes an invitation to not see my fragmentation from the lens of the world, the lens of culture, that lens of culture that calls for me to fight to be right, but also to fight for the right to be right. What we see then is not kindness, but the fruit of this world is to maintain divisive conflict until someone is beaten down by oppression. So the presence of the living God dwelling in us, the presence of the living God dwelling in the church allows us to be perfected down a different path rather than the path of divisive conflict. The presence of the living God gives us the power to rely on our faith in God and from that place show kindness and goodness to those that don't deserve it. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught this. You've heard, the, you've, heard the, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you were sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This law of retaliation, actually, it makes a lot of sense to me. It was designed to apply order to offenses that would ensure justice and also that a new offense would not arise from the taking of justice or for the, for the earning of justice. So in a larger cultural sense, this still I mean, obviously makes sense to us today that some ought to get what they deserve. It makes sense that folks ought to get what they deserve. That justice allows for the taking of what was taken. But the new life, the resurrected life, the life that leads to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is predicated on the reality that we entered new life because we didn't get what we deserved. The testimony of the cross is that our sin was met with death, but not the death of those that deserved it. The one who died on the cross was the one that was sinned against, not the sinner. So my fragmentation, my brokenness, wants to see justice as I define it. My fragmentation wants to cause fragmentation in others. 
to make a point, to right a wrong. Which, when we really look at that, what we see is just self-righteous ways of oppression. But when I put my fragmentation through the lens of the cross, rather than the lens of the culture of this world, I see the goodness and the kindness of a God that saves, a Father that takes the brunt of my brokenness, a Father who sees me healed and allows me to be a beacon to the healing of others. It's with the power that dwells within us that allows us to echo John Wimber when he says that my brother is never my enemy, even when he acts like it. The goodness of God, the kindness of the Father, all of that towards us activates our faith in him and allows us to offer others what he offered us. Relationship that we don't deserve. As we return to a posture of worship, let me close with these words from Paul. Second Thessalonians. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separating them from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what you were told about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of this call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, as we engage your goodness and kindness, we ask that you would root us in faithfulness, knowledge, that you are who you say that you are and you're doing what you say you do. I pray, Father, that, that we could look at our fragmentation as an entry argument into the awesome power of your love. And I pray, Father, that as we work this out together, as, as friction comes, I pray that you'd give us the courage to offer what was not what was offered to us, what we did not deserve. I pray that we would see the ministry of reconciliation come as the kindness and the goodness to us becomes kindness and goodness As we continue in worship, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up now.
are so many things here that, that we could say as we enter into this time together. There's so much about this fragmentation that, that definitely speaks to me. If you are feeling fragmented, if you're aware of the fragmentation, or if you are, are coming against the fragmentation of another, I'd encourage you to come and get prayer. If you are in a place, and I've been praying about this day, about, about, about Sunday, and about what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in our body. If you're in a place where you hear us talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're wondering, when do I feel that? I'd encourage you to come forward for us to pray for that as well. If you need to feel the kindness of the Lord, if you need to feel the goodness of the Father, I'd encourage you to come for that. And if you need healing of any kind, would you let us pray for you? See the power of God unleash in our family.